Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Reimagining Cyber. This is Stan Wisseman. I'm here with Rob Rego, my co-host. And Rob, I ping my kids periodically to say, hey, are you are you listening to the podcast? You know, because I, I know they occasionally listen. And I was surprised that my daughter had listened to the NIST 2 episode, directive episode that we did right before the break. And she's, she really liked it. And I, I was kind of mystified in the sense that, okay, this was kind of a dry topic in some ways because it's about a cybersecurity regulation. Right. She's not in the in cybersecurity at all. What did you like about it? It's like, well, he had a really cool accent. And it's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it is, it sort of is a good prompt for us to realize that regulations are important. You know, I, I, I think that we believe they're reactive in nature, right? Because you, you have regulations many times as a result of recognizing that you need to do something in the context of a, of a threat, right? Well, in the context of a threat, in the context of because of this regulation and because of the associated penalties and fines, and I need to prepare myself for the audit that's coming, I therefore will go ahead and spend and you know, put some potential controls in place to help me avoid those penalties, those fines as well. Well, and, and, and let's face it, the main goal of these regulations is to safeguard personal information and sensitive information and help ensure that organizations are ready and hopefully reduce the number of breaches, even though the, the numbers don't reflect that. Right. Even if we've got more regulations in place, the, the breaches continue to go up. But the I, I think it's a good idea to start out 2024 with a review of what's coming, mm. right? There are a number of regulations that are going to drop. Right. And why don't you start off and, and lead off with you know, chronological order here, yeah. you know, what, what's going to hit first. You, you came up with the concept of today's theme. And I think it, when, when you told me about it, I was like, you know, I just, you just never really think, I had never really thought about it because we do episodes typically on like, you know, one area of maybe regulation, an act that's just been released or coming due, making people aware of it. We give them an update. We bring in guests to talk about that. Like you said, the NIST 2 directive that we just did recently. And I think, you know, again, your 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 focus on, hey, let's let's help the audience be kind of more cognizant and aware of what's coming for them this year is, is good. So we'll we'll do that. We'll go through a handful and I'll start stand with the the ever evolving PCI data security standard, right? That's been around for many, many years. So the the new version 4.0 goes into effect at the end of March this year, 2024. And, you know, so it's an emphasis of being able to really strengthen and evolve your cybersecurity posture. And so some of the, you know, the areas really that I think have kind of been added or strengthened in what's planned for the 4.0 release of PCI DSS emphasizes multi-factor authentication, right? That's something that's been there but it's really putting more of a kind of focus on making sure that you're doing it right. There's a lot more, you know, authentication methods that now can be used with different technologies and making sure that that's also covered as part of this kind of, you know, new instantiation. Uh, another thing that's come out of it, which is really interesting, and I, I remember joking about this back in the early days of, of PCI, is this change from a point in time, like assessment or audit, and to really being a continuous point of view on how you deal with security, not just for PCI, but just for, you know, kind of in general. And and I, I say that, again, we used to kind of joke about this because it was like, oh, you're going to have a PCI assessment, you know, let's say October timeframe. You're made aware of it in, let's say, February. 
but you're going to have a pre-assessment or a pre-audit, right? In like the summertime frame, which is going to kind of tell you here are the areas that you're not doing so hot on. And we're going to give you a few months before we really show up to actually go and, 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 and ding you for the things you didn't do. Well, what do you do? You scramble to prepare for that. You get all everything, you know, your house in order. The actual assessment audit occurs. You wash your hands clean of it, and then you kind of forget. And it's back to- Yeah, it's a point in time assessment. Exactly. It's a point in time kind of event. Absolutely. And then you're sort of like, all right, well, next time. I'll be doing do, do, do the process again next yeah, time. very reactive, right? So I think that's a good point that they really are emphasizing the, the continuous evolution of what you're doing for security as part of that. So those are kind of some of the, there's, there's a couple other things, but that's a very key set of two, you know, kind of upscaling uh, paths for what they're doing with the 4.0 release of PCI DSS. And when does that go into effect? March 31st. And I think we, we did an episode on payment security. We did an episode. Right? We did it back episode 66. How does payment security work? All right. The, the one I'm going to focus on next is goes into effect mid-May is the Federal Trade Commission on at, you know breach notification and 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 the the basic challenge we as consumers have is that you know we're we're using our our credit card information works you know in some ways sharing our personal data on a regular basis and when a breach occurs the time to act as far as monitoring what's going on with your accounts is 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 as soon as possible right and and if if you don't re- receive notification that a breach has happened and you're impacted in a timely manner, the bad actors could already have stolen your identity, have already done something with your personal information, and you're you're vulnerable, right? So the FTC is is putting this rule into effect to significantly increase the the, the timeliness and these breach notifications to help ensure that financial institutions act swiftly and transparently when handling, you know, customer data like ours. And I, and I think, let's face it, it's sometimes on, on the institution or, or on the organization side of the equation, it's difficult to know the impact of a breach and, you know, in those early days, right? I mean, many times you're, you're still gathering information to figure out what's going on, but there's that tension of, yes, we all recognize it's hard, to figure out the, the impact of a breach, but you've got to let people know. You've got to let folks know that's got something going on so they can protect themselves as well. Because you're not going to protect me. Now your information is out. I mean, I need to I need to start my monitoring of my accounts it, and possibly change account passwords and even possibly get new credit cards. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where there's that natural tension and the FTC is moving that line up to make the, the breach notifications happen faster. It's, it's at times a bit of a fine line right? From a kind of public relations and how you communicate these things out there as well. So I think, you know, that's, that's, that's a part of it, but I think that that one actually plays nicely into the next one that I wanted to talk about. We talked about this throughout the beginning of last year to the end of, of, of last year in 2023, which is all about the SEC breach disclosure rules. And so it plays mm-hmm. off of what the FTC is now doing, right? Of course. And so in the middle of December of 2023, the SEC breach disclosure, you know, actually went into effect. We saw some some examples out there. One from Clorox, I think, played it out very nicely with their security breach. 
And, you know, and they did this before December 18th. They did it when they had their breach over the summer. I think it was August or so time frame, right, right? Right. But it was a good kind of blueprint for other organizations to see how that kind of process worked and the communication in a timely manner of what they knew, what they didn't quite know yet, um, and, and just make it available. And, they, and that's, again, released through an 8K, right? And then that needs to be reported, which will be now for their 10K coming out, right? Um now, so this what, this is so this was done in December. What's yeah. coming up this next year? So what's coming up now is in June. The smaller entities are the ones that basically kind of were given that almost a half year additional timeline, extra time, uh, gotcha. exactly right. Resources you get it. Give them a little bit more of a buffer mm-hmm. to get to the point of also having to be able to properly disclose information and and so really that's the, that's the the next kind of phase of this is. Now it becomes applicable to the smaller business entities, and that goes into effect in June on June fifteenth. Where again, same type of reporting disclosure information required. Answer these kind of I think four or five basic questions to get out there, which is a lot easier than what was initially thought it was going to be. But again, we're going to keep an eye on seeing how that one evolves over the course of the next year or so. And and we covered the SEC rules at least once, but I know at episode sixty nine we we had a, an episode specifically on it, right? We did. We covered it at least a couple of times, but that was the one that we really went into details on. That's right. So the next regulation dropping in is really the implementation of the NIST 2 directive that we talked about at the beginning of the show. So again- Your daughter's favorite um, episode. Exactly. So we had Bjorn Watney, who was the SVP and CSO at Telenor Group, joining us. He had the, the great accent, episode 76. And again- the intent of, of this directive is to upscale basically the, the cybersecurity resilience of EU nation states or EU members. And and it really does expand the, the current NIS directive scope to include other sectors and it includes additional security measures that have to go in place. And I think it is, again, like sort of like the PCI, right? It's evolving with the times. It's, it's recognizing that the, the baseline that was established previously with the initial version of NIS did not you know, cover today's threats adequately. And so this broadens the scope and covers more services and, and sectors than the first one. And hopefully it'll, it'll, it'll raise the bar. I think, again, when you're looking at these regulations, you sort of have to perceive this as being a, a minimum level you know, to address the risk. It, it, it's, it's recognition that that the threat has evolved and you need to be putting in place these measures and, it's, and it shouldn't be perceived as being all that you need to do, right? So the, I, th- I think it, I'm not underplaying the, the difficulty in compliance to these regulations. I mean, it, it's not necessarily easy to change your organization to become compliant to, to meet all the security measures they're asking for. But at the same time, don't think that compliance in and of itself is going to be equating to security. Bjorn did a great job in going through the NIST 2 directive. But I think one of the things I took away that I found great value, and I've seen it in the past for some other you know, regulations and whatnot, Stan, is that you know, he's using it as a lever to how he engages with the board at Telenor Group, how he engages mm-hmm. with getting their buy-in to where he's trying to evolve their cybersecurity program to. So- it's not that it's asking to do things differently. It's more of a, a kind of a hammer you can drop to say, we need to do these things. And here's the reasons why, because these penalties are going to come and you're going to be required one way or another. And, and in this two directive 
context, there are some significant penalties, uh, similar to like GDPR. So, I mean, I think that, again, they have a, a stick kind of approach to try to drive compliance. And and so the next one I wanted to cover off, and actually I'm going to play off what you just said with GDPR, because, I, you know, the EU, to me, does it, does it right, meaning that we don't like it at times. We didn't like it with GDPR. A lot of lessons learned. But listen, they're the ones who released, in essence, the very first real, with teeth, privacy regulation, mm-hmm. right? You just talked about the NIST II directive, which has evolved from the EU. The next one is the EU Cyber Resiliency Act, right? That was in 22, if not even earlier, when they initially came out with this EU Cyber Resiliency Act. And my point is, is that they really are very kind of cutting edge. Let's go lead the way, right? We'll make the adjustments and so on. But the EU Cyber Resiliency Act is something that is not in stone as to when it really will go into effect from when you will be required to do so or penalized. But they're talking about the early part of this year, 2024, to do so. And in essence, what it does is it emphasizes and focuses around helping really drive more security by design principles into your products and services, by the way, when and if you plan to sell those products and services into any part of the EU. Think about that. Mm. It's not an EU entity. Exactly. Not just because you're an EU entity that applies. No, no, no. You're in the States. You're in Australia, Singapore. I don't care. Brazil. Doesn't matter. You have products and services that you want to sell into EU and their residents and their businesses. You need to abide by these or else you're going to be penalized. And the penalties can be as high as, I believe it's 15 million euros is the top or 2%, 2 2.5% of turnover, kind of similar to what it was when, when GDPR first came out. So there's teeth behind it. But I think it's a great point because it's emphasizing product security and really putting some really good, strong kind of, I don't know if they're really, I I didn't see that they were very well defined specific control mechanisms in there, but more kind of guidance and some guardrails to think about as you're developing products and the security elements that you have to think about and take into consideration. Yeah. And you say that the EU does it right. And I I reflect back on, some of the last couple of years of, of what the U.S. has been doing. I think the President Biden's executive order on cybersecurity was mm-hmm. a really good first step. And and we're seeing trickle-down effects as far as those agencies like CISA and NIST having to create guidance and ultimately regulate the agencies on what they're doing with software supply chain, zero trust, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But an area where we're, we're continuing, I think, to fail in the U.S. is – we don't have an equivalent to GDPR, a, a nationwide data privacy kind of law or regulation, right? right? You, you end up with all these fragmented state-level regulations. And, and the poster child for that in the U.S. has been yeah. California mm-hmm. and what they've been doing. And, you know, we, we now are going to see in 2024 several other states join the fray with Florida, Oregon, Texas, and Montana – introducing comprehensive data privacy regulations and it's going to you know encompass a a range of different provisions and consumer rights are going to be an aspect of it as well as how their personal data is going to be leveraged and used by the business and what they collect and process and how they ultimately secure it but the challenge for organizations that are trying to comply is you have this patchwork of of regulations that you if you're doing business in the 50 states and Europe and you you have to you know do a lot of work to ensure that you're compliant and yeah. and do you do it you know 
what can you hang your hat on to to say that you're ninety percent there, and then work with that that delta for the yeah. different the states and their specific requirements. Yeah, I think you know you're spot on. Where there's been talk about a national privacy regulation law, but there's, there's been no movement. I haven't seen any movement really whatsoever, other than yeah. talk, right? And so, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's it's very difficult because it is completely patchwork. You, as you stated, right, we have all these additional new states. So, so now I went back and looked. So there's 12 states now effective coming into 2024 that have their own individual privacy acts, right? And then there's another 12 that last year introduced what they're planning to go in and maybe this year or in 2025 have their own. So you're going to have half of the US by the end of 2025, at least half of the US by the end of 2025 with some sort of privacy regulation and just managing on that. We talk about with, with different organizations, how difficult it is to manage global privacy regulations, GDPR, PIPTA, right? Pitbull, uh, you, you name it, right? <laughs> right? And it's like, wow, right? Then you turn to the US and it's like, hey, by the way, here's at least 12 and then there's more to come to add on top of that. And, and, and by the way, I feel it. It's always like a contest where the next state is trying to up-level the previous state's privacy law by some sort of kind of, let me tighten that screw a little bit tighter. So interesting to see how that one plays out. Again, as we start off the show, the, the reason these regulations are coming into to bear is that the number of data breaches is increasing. The confidence that organizations can put in adequate controls to mitigate the threat on their own mm-hmm. is lacking. And, and the evidence is compelling, right? That left by themselves, you know, they are not doing even the minimum required. But as we said a moment ago, organizations shouldn't look at these regulations as the the target state. That is the that should be the minimum bar, a risk-based approach. You have to look at the specific threats that you're addressing too. And that could be security measures and controls that are beyond what is being required by regulators. And so it is it's one of those things where you're going to have to demonstrate compliance and it's complicated given the number of regulations that are coming out and the number of regulations are getting released because of the escalation in the in the threat landscape and the lack of ability of organizations to protect themselves and the data they're processing. Yeah, totally agree. I think it's in, it'll be interesting to see what else kind of net new gets introduced this year. But I think it's great that you know we're able to kind of at the early part of the year in January start giving this kind of vision into you know laws that are going into place that will become effective these these acts that are going to be launched and again just some awareness and you can always go back as as we've been mentioning to go and replay more great detail with guests in specific episodes on those given topics that we've had in the past. Mm-hmm. Thank you for <laughs> being here, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say, man. You always close. (laughs) Well, thanks everyone for joining us. And again, you have an opportunity to go back and delve in deeper to those episodes we called out to learn more. Thanks, Rob. See, that's what I always say. Producer Ben here, and that was Robin Stan bringing another episode of Reimagining Cyber to a close in a particularly smooth fashion. I could have cut it out, but I thought it might make you smile. Robin Stan referred to a few previous editions, one being episode 66, How Does Payment Security Work? It featured Dan Fritchie, CISO at RSI Security.
you know, I would have said in the past PADSS was built on top of a network security standard, which had some inherent problems because you're trying to look at an application from a network perspective. And so mm -hmm. this clears all that up. It refocuses, like I said at the beginning, on the way that uh, application security is done differently today than it has been in the past, and it allows for the development process to be looked at as well. That was Dan Fritchie, CISO at RSI Security, in episode 66, How Does Payment Security Work? Finally, thanks to all of you who've left a review of the show on Apple Podcasts. For example, a listener going by the name of A Garrett 321 representing the 801, I don't think that's their real name, wrote some kind words referring to Stan as the analogy master. That is hugely appreciated. You can, of course, rate and review this show on other apps. Thanks for listening and goodbye.